Welcome to The Continuing Educator. I'm your host, Jacob Bruno. Dedicated to the ongoing professional learning of educators, this podcast brings together the important issues facing teachers today and some of the most influential and expert folks in teaching to talk about them. I like to say come for the conversation, stay for the strategies, the latest research, and innovative practice that can lead to success for students and everyone involved in learning. The Continuing Educator is produced by the experts of the NWEA Professional Learning Team. Today's conversation is about moving beyond equity as a buzzword to equity as a foundational element of high-quality, responsive teaching. How do we move beyond equity as as a synonym for diversity and a lightning rod for divisiveness and begin to see the value of equity in the context of instruction? I'm keenly interested in what our schools and classrooms could look like if we made this shift. How would our mindsets and systems and processes change? How would our schools, our students, how would we as educators be better for it? I'm joined today by educators who can help us start to answer those questions and provide rich evidence and experience-based ideas and insights for what's next. Phoenicia Hubbard is a professional learning design leader on the NWEA professional learning team. Prior to designing, Phoenicia delivered professional development for K-12 educators, specializing in the delivery methods of teaching, coaching, facilitating, training, and consulting. Phoenicia is a former middle school math teacher, instructional coach, and workshop facilitator with Chicago Public Schools. Phoenicia, welcome. Thank you for having me here, Jacob. I'm so glad you're here. Also joined today by Joyce Smith. Joyce is a content designer within the NWEA professional learning team. She began her career in education as an elementary school teacher, a mentor, and teacher leader in New York City. She transitioned to a school leadership role as an academic coordinator, where she provided support, led professional development, and facilitated additional training opportunities. She joined NWEA in 2021 as a professional learning consultant before transitioning to a content design role. Joyce, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jacob. I'm happy to be here. I'm really glad you're here as well, ma'am. Well, let's get into it. I'd like to start, Phoenicia and Joyce, with you. How does NWEA define equity? Phoenicia? Yeah, that's a great question because equity is such a big topic that we know a lot of organizations and educational institutions are working with and defined differently. So it's important that we look at what equity is and what it does. At NWEA, we believe that equity is the fair treatment, the access, the opportunity, and the advancement for students and educators, and that that facilitates their individual success and their belonging. And what equity does is it identifies and it eliminates those barriers to the access and opportunities that sometimes put students at a disadvantage. Thank you, Phoenicia. You know, as I hear you say that, and of course, I'm familiar with your work, it occurs to me that, and you know, you both have been drivers internally, uh, especially within the professional learning realm and thinking about how we work with educators in this space. And so I'm I'm curious, you know, I I know that you and and through you, NWEA looks at equity in the context of instruction as opposed to equity in terms of race, ethnicity, et cetera. And this is quite a bit different from how many organizations uh, approach the topic. 
Um, Joyce, I'm, I'm curious, can you share more about this shift? Sure. Um, so I think it is critical to acknowledge that equity is rooted in identities, cultural, social, economical, racial, um, etc. I think it's powerful as educators for us to consider how equity shows up in that academic context in addition to that, right? So they're not just siloed. Um, this is important because often in equity conversations, you may hear folks say things like, well, I don't have a diverse student population or I don't have those issues at my school. And while I don't think it's necessary to assess the validity of those statements, what we do want to ensure at NWEA is that we're making teaching the teaching and learning experience itself equitable for all students. When they're in those seats in your classroom, when they're reading, computing, engaging in discussion, that every student, all their strengths, all their needs are being considered, um, incorporated and addressed. That's great. Uh, thank you, Joyce. Venetia, anything you would add to that in terms of the context of instruction? We're all about putting equity in the context of instruction. And that is so that, as Joyce said, um, our students, our young people, and our teachers can have equitable teaching and learning experiences. Thanks, Venetia. Um, you know, NWEA Professional Learning uh, developed the six entry points for equity under your leadership, Venetia. So can you talk to us about what is this framework, how it's used, particularly when we talk about uh, a specific area of focus like mathematics? Equity, as you know, is a really big topic. And sometimes it's challenging to address all the facets of equity. You have biases, you have issues with access, you have various isms, inclusion, things that we all need to consider when we're talking about equity. And so educators and stakeholders all have the intent of partnering to help our students learn. And we all have different lenses and perspectives by which we make instructional decisions. And so to meet the challenge of addressing all components of equity, we use what we call the entry points for equity framework. Frame. So to address all of the components of equity, we use what we call the entry points for equity framework. And what that does is it helps us to highlight where opportunities are to enact equity, and it also provides starting points for us to identify where opportunities don't exist. Joyce, can you talk a little bit about how, maybe a couple of examples of how classroom educators might use this framework in practice? Sure. So I think one of the powerful things about the framework is that it really prompts reflection. Um, it's very far from a rubric or an evaluation tool, which I think, um, which I think can make um, equity feel like a task, right? So this framework really allows educators to spend a lot of their time reflecting, noticing, examining, and assessing their own beliefs, and really taking what they've noticed from that self-reflection and considering how has this showed up in my practices? How has this showed up in how I set up my classroom? How has this shown up in how I create and 
analyze assessments that I give to my students. So it really um, provides them the space and the guidance to engage in that reflection. Phoenicia, uh, under your leadership, NWEA Professional Learning developed the six entry points for equity. Can you tell us what is this framework, how it's used, and and uh, I'll, I'll hold on to it, but I'll let you know. Um, I'm interested as well what it might look like in a specific area of focus, uh, like mathematics. But could you start? Just talk us talk to us about what are the six entry points for equity and and how this framework can be used. The six entry points that we've identified are mindsets, relationships, products, spaces, processes, and systems. So typically, an indicator that you need to use these entry points and enact this framework is that there's a misalignment. There's probably a misalignment between the things that you and your school district value and what you're noticing or what's happening, or there's a disconnect between what you believe and what's being experienced by learners. And so we use the entry points then to begin the conversation around equity. We typically want to start by identifying what it is that we believe, you know, what what is driving the instructional decisions that we make, and then identifying specific problems of practice. And those typically are questions that once we probe deeper to answer those questions, we can start to identify the inequities. And then once we identify the inequities, we can say, okay, this aligns to this entry point. And then once we know that entry point, then that's where you have the opportunity to work with us and our professional learning team to really identify processes or protocols or strategies to help you work through and find equitable solutions. Phoenicia, thank you. Um, so is it fair to say then that as a framework, the six uh, entry points for equity uh, represent well, I, I guess just a framework that I can, throughout my career, day to day, cohort of kids, cohort of kids, um, calibrate my instruction, uh, uh, the learning experiences, my approach to instruction, uh, uh, to to kind of evaluate what are my intentions versus what are the outcomes I'm kind of creating the the learning eco- ecosystem to to result in for kids. That's a good starting point. The entry points for equity is a framework that helps you and your team take ownership over that equity that you want to enact. It's really not about doing anything new or different. It's about reframing how we think in the perspective by which we make these instructional decisions. Thank you for that, Phoenicia. I, I Then I want to jump back to the, the, the question then of how this might be applied within a specific area of focus like mathematics. Uh, Joyce, could you um, help me think through that? Well, I was really hoping you pass it to Phoenicia here because I'm not a math person at all. But yeah. um, but I think it's I think it's important to um, for me to acknowledge that as an educator, um, especially in terms of these entry points. So as an educator, it's important for me to consider the impact that that has on my instruction and my interaction with students and and also the relationships that I help my students build around math. So when we consider those entry points, for example, if we're talking about mindsets, that's really where um if we're considering our mental attitudes, which it speaks to, um, 
it's important for me to recognize recognize the attitude that I have towards math and be proactive in ensuring that that does not translate to the experience that my students have with math. So ensuring that, um, well, one, I think it might be important to be honest with my students around my identity, my academic identity with mathematics, um, but also pay attention to the decisions I'm making around how I'm planning for instruction, how I'm utilizing certain tools. Am I taking that additional time to ensure that my students are understanding those mathematical concepts? Am I creating a space in my classroom where my students can actually enjoy math and enjoy math with each other? Um, so I think that's one way it can be applied to a particular subject. I don't know, does that make sense? It does. Yes, absolutely. Phoenicia, I, I want to pivot to you because as I hear Joyce, and that, that makes good sense, I wonder, I was a middle school and high school math teacher, so I, I just, um, I wonder if there's a space in here too. We're talking right now about my instruction, my work as an educator, but even as a student, students' identities in this framework as well. Uh, I remember many students saying, oh, you know, Mr. Bruno, I talked to my uh, folks. They said, you know, I they took algebra. They've never used it again. So uh, we're not math people. You know, we talk about us as an educator not being particularly uh, um, identifying with a focus area. Uh, does that come into play with students as well as we engage with the framework? It definitely does. Uh, when we use the entry points faculty framework, we always want to take into consideration the multifaceted identities that our students bring to the table. And we want to pay particular attention to what we call their academic identity. So what are the dispositions and beliefs that they have about mathematics and how does that show up and how they engage with the content? For me personally, one of the greatest inequities that I experienced as a student of math was being taught math in a way that was sort of like a checklist mindset. Here's the algorithm, here's the procedure, you need to do it and you need to do it quickly, right? I say that that was an inequity because my teachers could have done something to shape my experience differently. They could have opened the door to different models and approaches for my learning and not just for myself, but for my peers as well. And so what we wanna do is start with the awareness of our identities as adults. And how did those identities come to be formed when we were students learning that topic? Um, I think about that quote by Bob Moses, where he says, illiteracy in math is acceptable the way illiteracy in reading is unacceptable. And so we have to think of how deeply rooted that sort of unhealthy academic identity is in our culture. Why is it okay for us to say that we're not math people and what are we doing to really push and challenge our teachers so that they can create more equitable math learning experiences for their students. Yeah, that I that resonates deeply and I'm and I'm curious, you know, as we think about helping students influence or reshape their identities. Um what's the interplay there or or how can we as educators um you know, tap into and develop agency and motivation uh, from the student to, to do that work. Yeah, I want to definitely let Joyce answer that, but I'll start by saying that what we want to do is help our students engage more authentically, 
And one way that we do that is by drawing on their lived experiences. I need to be able to see myself in this the, the, the work that I'm learning, I need to be able to see how is it applicable to the world that I live and to my lived experiences. Uh, some of us in the world of education might know that as funds of knowledge. Some people might use the term culturally responsive teaching. Whatever it is, it's what we do to make that connection with our young people. How can we as educators help students influence or reshape their identities? Uh, uh, does that require agency? How do we how do we develop that? Does it require intrinsic motivation? How can we support that with students? Great question. I, I agree that um, this notion of culturally responsive and sustaining education is really a key lever here in ensuring that students, um, as Phoenicia mentioned, can see themselves in the work that they're doing. At the story you told around using learning calculus, but never using it again, we can all tell those stories, right? But if it had been taught in a way where we could have applied it to our lives, or we learned it through an experience that was current or relevant to um, our, our lived experiences or our cultural connections, um, there may have been some a greater lasting impact, or there may have been concepts that we retained more because um, we made those connections. So I think it's important in the role of the educator to really consider, um, well, one, they have to know their students, right, in order to um, really tap into those identities, to tap into your students' lived experiences, you have to know them. Um, and then once you have built those relationships, once you've built those equitable relationships, then um, there's ample opportunities to um, allow students um, or invite students um, to, to create spaces in which they're making deeper connections to the content. Thank you, Joyce. I'm thinking about this. You know, we're, we, we've talked a bit about mindsets from an educator perspective. We've talked about identities from both uh, educator and student perspectives. As I'm, if, if I'm an educator and I'm thinking about the content that I'm teaching, should I teach my content as in, in you know, this interplay of funds of knowledge, lived experience, and the like? Should I approach the content as if every student is? confident and engaged in hopes that that will become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Or do I really need to be intentional and think through, um, um, you know, that differentiation or, or is it not so simple? I, I'm, I'm curious your guys' thoughts. We always want to design instruction where we're taking our students' needs into consideration. We're aligning that against what it is we want them to be able to do. And then we're scaffolding or structuring the instruction so that it's accessible to all students at different points throughout the learning, right? Um, how do we do this? And how does this circle back to possible inequities and identifying opportunities for us to grow? Um, it could be something very broad in terms of just thinking, what is math and why do we even teach it? And making sure that we have a clear understanding of what that means. Because in answering that question, we might discover that hey, within our building, we have teachers who have different approaches to teaching math, and maybe some of those approaches are a little limited, and they can be expanded a little bit more. Um, and then we can level that up to the school level, 
to find a better, a, a greater solution. And that might be looking at, well, how do we really support our teachers in their pedagogy? Um, what does our professional development and continuous learning look like for these educators? Um, an inequity that we might discover is that, wow, most of our professional learning is actually just product training and we're not focusing too much on instructional practices. Or if we are, we're not doing it at key times throughout the school year. So now that becomes an issue of looking at the processes and the systems that we have in place. Um, and then if we level that up to a, a bigger perspective at the district, we might say, how can we use professional development to increase our teacher motivation? Because we know that will lead to greater student outcomes. And so then we might look at, well, how are teachers rewarded and encouraged to engage in professional development? Not things that we mandate of them, but opportunities that they seek out for themselves. And so that might become an issue of looking at inequities in our systems and our compensation, our salary structure, right? So there's so many different levels at which we can start to address that basic issue of how do I design my lesson for all of these students and keep them engaged in the math learning? Yeah, I, I, Phoenicia and Joyce, this framework is, you know, to your point, um, it, it really operates, it seems to me anyway, and, and you can uh, correct me here, but it, it seems to operate at a lot of different levels within the, um, within the, the learning ecosystem, right? So it leads me to think, I know that the two of you and your teams have created a lot of work around uh, a lot of learning and engagement opportunities around uh, the entry points for equity. Could you take a moment uh, and let me know who who is this work for? Um, uh, is it educators? Is it leaders? Um, and, and what are some of the outcomes partners uh, uh, might expect when they engage with with the work that your team's creating? Um, okay, so I think these sessions are for educators who are ready to ensure that every student is getting that high quality education that they all deserve. I think it's also for folks who feel and want to be committed to equity and want to look beyond this notion of schools being inequitable just for particular groups of students, similar to what you mentioned at the beginning, Jacob. So anyone who wants to lead a school or create a classroom where they aren't just talking about equity and using it as that buzzword, but they're actually taking steps to embody it. And through these sessions, folks can learn how to determine and discover the different ways to embody equity throughout the entire learning experience for students and for adults through assessments, relationships, policies, procedures, and not just in this broad generalized manner in which equitable education is often discussed or, or assumed. NWEA is a teaching and learning organization. A lot of educators associate us with assessment because those are our flagship offerings. And so when you attend our equity-focused data frames workshop, which we call an offering or a professional learning experience, then what you're learning is how do I uplevel the data conversations that I'm having in my building? How do I move beyond what we've been using as typical data analysis protocols to now look at it with an equity lens? So we teach you very specific strategies such as that. We also give educators an opportunity to really unpack their academic identities and analyze and scrutinize the impact that this is having at the classroom level on how teachers are teaching. 
That's great. Are there other, uh, so you, you, you talk about uh, equity data frames. Are there other um, offering-based outcomes that you, you'd want to name for, for our listeners? We currently have a suite of equity-focused workshops. The first one is on leveraging data for equity. And so that's an opportunity for us to really look at the interrupted learning that's, um, that our students have experienced it and talk about practical ways to address it during the school year. We wanna help educators learn how to make a shift from being managers of learning to empowerers of learning. And we're looking at specific ways that we can use uh, stress and trauma sensitive practices in the classroom. And that's critical and timely because of how education has shifted just over the past couple of years. If, if I'm an educator listening to this and I start thinking, you know, really, I'm, I'm motivated here to, to think more intentionally about equitable teaching and learning in my classroom or school. Do I need to consider all the entry points at once or should I consider them just as you've named them entry points and, and start where I see the most opportunity? You want to enter the equity conversation at a point that's relevant and timely for your students first and foremost. So what is it that our students need? What are, what are we noticing is missing? Or what are gaps or opportunities for equity in their teaching or learning experience? And then we can look at what does that imply for us as an educator? So if we want to really enact the entry points for equity framework, we can imagine um, a road and we're all traveling. You and your colleagues are traveling along this road. Um, there are different paths and each road leads to a roundabout right? You have to at some point exit that roundabout and knowing when to um, exit the roundabout is an indicator of when it's time to enact equity, right? So when I know, oh, it's time for me to do something different because this isn't working, that's when I know I need to exit the roundabout. And once I do that, now I can identify, well, what was it that wasn't working? What's the inequity? What's the problem I'm trying to solve here? And now we can enact the framework. I love the analogy of the roundabout, Phoenicia. And I think to add to that, um, I would encourage any educator to also pay attention to the strengths and the assets of the work that they're doing, as well as the strength and the assets um, that their students are bringing to the table. I think it's um, easy for us to notice those gaps in our practice, to notice those gaps in our student um work and an achievement. Um, and I think in order for us to know where to exit and also when to come back into that roundabout is to consider the successes that are there as well and the, and the ways in which we have made progress towards um, equity. That was absolutely perfect because we want to do both. Thank you for balancing that out. And thank you both for joining us for this part of the conversation. The work that you are leading is is critically important to educators and students around the country, around the world, frankly. And, and uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for having us, Jacob.